0: All right, thank you for the clock, thank you for everything else. This is a book called Winner's Tale by Mark Halpern. I don't recommend that you read it, it was one of my favorite books. The reason why I have it up here is because, I'm not saying you shouldn't read it, by the way, I don't remember there being any terrible things in there, there probably was, of course, but. Uh, but, but, but the thing I wanted to do was, is I just want you to think about when you're reading a really good book, You know what I mean? And you get to that last chapter, and, you know, the thing happens and everything, and then you get to those last few pages, and the thing ties up, and when you got a really good book and you get to those last words of that book, you know how it is? You're just kind of like, ah. You know, it just tied up beautifully. It's just, you just take a minute. You just don't even really want to close the cover, but you know what you do with a book is, is that you just go wow, that was just terrific. And you you, you close the cover and that's it, right? That's a really good book. Now, God wrote a really good book. The best book ever by far. And the interesting thing is is that the last couple of chapters in his book are pretty phenomenal too. In fact, very arguably, they are intended by God to be the most inspirational words ever written. Think about it. This book opens in Genesis with God creating everything, chapter 1. And then there's more detail about the creation of man, and that's chapter 2. By chapter 3, just three chapters into this huge book, by chapter 3, what happens? A break between God and the people that he created to be one with. And the entire rest of this book is the story of reconciling that, of getting that back right again. And it comes right to the very last thing written, time-wise. The very last thing written, the way that we arrange the book and by time. This is the thing that God wanted ringing in our ears, resonating in our hearts for all time. And the cool thing is, as great as the garden was, and the garden was great, who wouldn't want to live in the garden, right? And yet, when you get to chapters 21 and 22 in Revelation, and you see the thing that God is bringing at the end of this book, the thing that he's bringing at the end of time for us in him, it makes the garden completely pale by comparison, doesn't it? This is the most glorious thing ever. And the thing about this particular book and these particular chapters is when we get done reading these chapters, God doesn't really want us to close the book, does he? He wants us to leave it open, and it's like, you know, just just there so that all the time you can look and see what God's goal is, what his heart is, so that you'll always live in the light of what's coming no matter how hard it is, because that's the whole point of Revelation, right? Comfort food for people who are going through really hard things and going through the hardest things that any people on the face of the earth will ever face. That's what he says. At the end of it, he says, this is the reward. This is why it's worth it. So that's what we get to do today. I am incredibly excited about this. I am prayerful that we're going to be able to get in God to where this is. It is a little long, not the sermon necessarily, but it's two full chapters. But I really want us to let these words get into our hearts so that we become people who live in the light of the most inspirational words ever spoken, intentionally by him. So the person that's praying for us is Caitlin Morris. Oh, that's a great choice. Totally awesome. Caitlin. You guys do know that their family has expanded in the whole nine yards and all this kind of stuff, right? While well, they've been down at CF and I at the worship, learning worship. Is it going well? Just stand up. Just give us the briefest little update, okay? And then pray for the sermon. It's I'm going just a little very nervous well. You'll time, have to so. come talk to us later to find out more. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> all right. Lord, I thank you that Kurt has the boldness to speak truth, that he's taken on a book that many shy away from. And I pray that as he preaches this morning, that you would speak with power, that you would speak with truth, that Amen. the words that come out of his mouth would penetrate our hearts, Lord, that we would hear exactly what it is that you, Holy Spirit, want to speak to us, and that through this message, we would be able to walk in a greater understanding of not thank only you, what you have for us now, but what you have for us to come. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I thank you so much that through this process, you are continuing to refine us. And Lord, I pray that this church would be blessed this church would continue to grow in power and influence in this community and lord i thank you that as we continue to be transformed into your likeness that we continue to bring a greater level of your truth and your power into bellevue and into the surrounding area amen we thank you for lake sam in jesus name amen Amen. jesus name thank you caitlin all right so uh last time we're going to see this which is unfortunate because i really like the thing and i'm not clicking okay so go ahead and click me if you would and try and figure out why it's not moving for me. Thank you very much. You might want to communicate to me. Just yell at me. Okay, there you go. Demystifying the Book of Revelation. Okay. Now, uh, what we're going to be doing is is we're we're because it's two full chapters. We're not going to go terribly deep. I could have broken it up into you know there's 20 sermons in there, but I felt like this these two chapters hold together so much as a whole that they really need to be encountered as a whole. So what we're going to do is is we're going to first just take some time as we go through it a little bit and we're just going to kind of be at 5,000 feet but we're going to dip down every once in a while and just pick up one of these things and what we're going to be doing is the stuff that we've always been doing when we hit language or concepts that seem a little confusing they're symbolic they're meaning something more they're that poetic type language that means more than just the thing we're going to be asking the question and and by the way this will be a lot more fun if this becomes truly interactive when I ask you what does he mean by that if you guys are quick to respond and tell me what he means we'll have a lot more fun with this all right So the point is is we're going to dip down and we're going to go through there and then we're going to build a little something and then we're going to do something cool with that all right so having said that let me see if i got it good guys i got it okay i saw heaven and earth nuclear by the way i'm using the message because eugene just has a does a great job a lot of times of picking up the energy of picking up the emotion and the excitement that is supposed to be in the words So I saw heaven and earth, new created. See that awkward phrasing, but new, you know what I mean? Gone the first heaven, gone the first earth, gone the sea. Now that ought to be, that's one of those speed bumps, right? I get the new heaven, I get the new earth, the old stuff is corrupted, it's perverted, it's time to be washed clean, it's time to be replaced, it's time for the new thing that God has to be recreated, the creator recreating and making this new thing. But when it gets to the sea, why gone the sea? I mean, do you want the sea gone? When, when we think about the sea, it's kind of cool, isn't it? I mean, we think about the sea as being this thing that is like, you know, you get a beach house that looks out over the sea. You got like a really nice house, right? And a really great view and all that kind of stuff. I mean, when we think about the sea in modern times, it goes more something like that, right? You know what I mean? It's kind of like, you know, the city on the ocean. You know what I mean? It wouldn't be fun to just cruise around for months, right? And, and, and you do realize even a ship that size, compared to the ocean these boats have to be very careful that they don't actually get caught in the middle of storms they actually have very sophisticated weather stuff to stay away from the way the ocean can actually get which is just think about why is the sea gone what's he communicating there's a few levels i just kind of want to run through this but why would the sea be gone well what does the sea represent to people that haven't built ships cities on the sea yet and even those being dangerous what's it communicating Well, the sea at one level has a danger element to it. See what I mean? Think about it. When you're talking about the Sea of Galilee, two times the disciples are said to be on the Sea of Galilee and frightened for their lives. You get Paul who shipwrecked and they all thought they were gonna die. You get stories in the Old Testament. You get stories in the New Testament. You get stories all the time. What does the sea represent in a very real sense? Danger, problems. You know, even today with all of the ships that we've got, this is, you know, most dangerous catch. Well, this is one of those ships up there, or those, one of those fishing boats up there in the most dangerous catch. And, and, you know, just take a look at it here. Watch what happens to that little tiny boat. It just goes over, you know. Now, that's in the North, that's in the Alaskan Sea. You know, they have what, a couple of minutes, right, before they perish, right you hear the guy that's doing it and they're all going oh my gosh and you know we got to, you know and the guy drops his camera and they all start running and he's trying to take everybody out of the water so when it says the sea I think on one level what it's trying to communicate and boy he does this over and over in these chapters safety remember in Revelation what we've been hearing about is people that haven't been safe at all that have been under great danger and now all of a sudden he's coming with these really powerful imagery of safety But I don't think we have to stop there. Think about another thing. You know, in those days, before they had Skype, before they had airplanes that could just fly you over the pond, quote unquote, right? What did the sea represent? Distance. Separation. It was you were gone. Whether you'd ever come back or not was a, you know, we don't know. Because it was, you know, just catch the drift. You can go there too, but I just wanna go, I wanna go all the way. What does the sea always symbolize in symbolic language? What's it always mean? Humanity, Humanity. it's exactly right. Way to go, Hal, thank you. You get the gold star, okay? It represents humanity. So when God is saying the sea isn't there, he's not saying humanity's not there, right? There turns out to be a whole lot of humanity there. Where is the sea being spoken of humanity Where is it usually represented most of the time, particularly in Revelation? Before the throne. There's a sea of humanity before the throne. Here's something that's very cool about these two chapters. God in concentric circles starts taking people from the place where they are, which is separated from him in some sense, even if they're in him spiritually. They're still before the throne. He is in concentric circles. He's going to draw it. He's going to take us ever, ever more intimately close to him in these chapters. Watch how he does this. And so I think a lot what he's saying when he's saying there's not the sea anymore, what he's saying is the distinction between humanity and me is gone. So if that's the case, if I'm at all on the right track with this as to why God would communicate there's no sea, then let's start doing this, okay? So I saw the holy Jerusalem, newly created, descending, resplendent out of heaven, as ready for God, as a bride for her husband. Bride, what's it mean? What's it symbolize? What's he trying to say? Faster. (laughs) Go ahead. You don't have to raise your hand. Just yell it out. Yes, very much. Oneness. Okay? What else? Bride, what is it? what's that yes but but I mean when when a bride and a husband are getting together what's what what was that about love intimacy right it's this it is celebratory it's that too it's this moment where this two are becoming one that's what that marriage celebration is about that's what the bride that's what the groom that's what they're waiting for right this moment of the two becoming one okay I heard a a voice thunder from the throne. Look, look. God is making his home with men and women. They're his people. He's their God. You do realize this is just language that doesn't exist in other religions. You do realize other religions might even have a personal God, right? There's the monotheistic religions, but then there's the impersonal ones. Well, there's never any sense of this even in the monotheistic ones except for Christianity and Judaism. There's never any sense of God is making his home with people. Even the sense, watch what the movement is. It's not so much us being taken up to heaven to be with God. It's God coming to us to make his home amongst us, which was what his heart was, right? But he's now making his home amongst us. See, concentric circle. He's drawing it in. Okay, let's do another one. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good. Tears gone. Crying gone. Pain gone. All that first order, all that stuff that was so bad before, gone. The enthroned continues. Look, I'm making everything new. What's he trying to say here? This should be really easy. I'm making everything new. But in particular, why is is that important in this context? Yeah, the thing that before sucked. (laughs) Right? It was painful. There was relationships that would break up. There was just volcanoes that would happen and kill people. There was all this stuff that would happen. There's all this pain. Even if life is basically good for you and God does let the rain fall and the just and the unjust and it can be good, but the bottom line is there's all this pain nonetheless in life. Just that kind of thing. And what he's saying is all that's gone. All of that is gone. This is brand new. Again, calling back to the creation and the garden but going even deeper okay write it all down each word dependable and accurate here's what he's trying to say count on this stuff this is true it's not mythological it's not just meant to inspire you but it's not really true this is real then he said it's happened I'm the A to Z I'm the beginning I'm the conclusion what's he trying to say Just, just like he said, all in all, the guy that started it all ends it all and the same way because he's actually creating the new thing. The guy that created it is going to end and start anew. From water of life, well, I give freely to the thirsty, and I'm doing NLT just because it makes it a little more clear. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. What does water always symbolize in scripture? Life. And what's the cost of it? None. All you have to be is want his life. That's it. If you are thirsty, if you need his life, drink richly, drink fully, drink eternally. Conquers inherit all this. All who are victorious inherit all these blessings. What's he saying? If you don't get distracted, if you don't cop out, if you don't freak out, if you don't get, if you don't get distracted by the lesser that Satan holds out, in the temptation. Then you will get the greater that God has. You'll be a conqueror. What does that mean? Does that mean if you ever sin, you don't get in? No, what it means is that your orientation is always to God's better. Even when you fall, your orientation is, I know God has better. Thirsty one, I'm the one that's pressing in and going after him. I'll be a God to them. They'll be what? See, before it was, remember these concentric circles? Before it was home. First it was sea and there's something about that being gone. It was home. But now it's sons and daughters. Sons and daughters. Judaism doesn't even really have that concept, not heavenly, not in the fullness that we're talking about here. Certainly he's got they're God's children. But there's a distance in that concept. What he's talking about here is, is you're my son, you're my daughter. You're my family. But for the rest, feckless, faithless, degenerate, murderers, sex peddlers, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, for them, lake of fire, brimstone, second death. You know, it's in, this, in this whole passage, there's only two times that he'll go to the negative side of this thing because that's what we've been doing. He's been showing, he's been saying that. And at this point in time, he does need to make something clear. What he needs to make clear is, is that those people aren't going to be there. So don't be those people. (laughs) And you don't have to, when you're there, worry about those people, because they won't be. You won't have that kind of trial, that kind of temptation. You won't have that kind of persecution. One of the seven angels who carried the bowls filled with the seven to the final disaster spoke to me. Come here, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He took me away in the spirit to an enormous high mountain. He showed me holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Resplendent in the bright glory of God, the city. Now, wait a minute. See, this is the first time we have this concept. It's a city shimmering like a precious gem, light-filled pulsing light. Why a city? What's that imagery? Why a city? community of people. That's exactly right. And here, garden, garden's a little bit more sort of, you know, tending the flowers and, you know, it's not to say you don't have relationships. Now, by the way, this is not a crowded city as we're going to see soon. I'm talking about, you know, New York City where everybody's on top of each other. But what we are talking about is a community. That's why he's calling it a city. He's talking about a gathered people, And a very large family. Now watch. She had a wall, majestic and high. Why a wall? See, once again, in our modern thing, we want to be out in the country with a great vista. You know where being out in the country with a great vista doesn't work out very well? When there's marauding hordes coming and taking you over every, you know, few years. Right? Somebody taking stuff from you. Living inside the city wall was a place of safety. To the people in Revelation that have been being so terribly persecuted being inside the wall protected from what's outside this is a thing of safety that's what he's trying to communicate 12 gates at each gate stood an angel on the gates were inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of israel just tell me what's that mean what's he trying to communicate He's saying he's going to be faithful about his promise to the tribes of Israel. That's absolutely true, and it goes one more step than that. What are they? What's the tribes of Israel? What are they in this imagery? The gates. What does that mean? The way in. The way in is through the Jews. The way in is through the one that he chose, that he wanted to reveal himself to the whole world, and the one in whom nationality that he came in. The way in is through the Jews, so that's absolutely true. But then he says this, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west, what does that mean? Everybody, right, no matter where you come from, all sides, come on in. The way in is this Jewish way, but it's open to all. Nobody's excluded in any way, shape or form, okay? The wall was set on 12 foundations. The names of the 12 apostles, the lamb inscribed on them. What's this saying? The way in is the Jewish people, but the foundations upon which it is built is Christ making people new and having this intimate relation with them. Christianity is the foundation. See it? Okay. The angel speaking with me had a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city was laid out in a perfect square, in fact, a perfect cube. And we're going to see that in the next thing, but I just want to deposit right here. A perfect cube... Now, who thinks of the city as a perfect cube? Ever. Have you ever thought of a perfect city? It turns out to be 12,000 stadia, which is 1,400 miles, just under 1,400 miles. So it's 1,400 miles along one axis, along another axis, and 1,400 miles tall. That's a weird city. (laughs) Right? What's he trying to communicate? Absolutely perfect. That is, that is so good. Perfect in every single dimension. By the way, the, the 12,000 stadium, well, I'll get to that in a second, but perfect in every dimension, but there's an even, there's an even deeper place on it. Over every dimension. That's absolutely right too, but a perfect cube. Where else do we see perfect in dimension cube? Where else? Tabernacle and the temple. What is it? The Holy of Holies. Here's the tabernacle. There, this is where the priests were. This is where the veil is. This is the Holy of Holies back here. And it's always a perfect square. The Holy of Holies. In the temple it looked like this. And Can you see the cutaway here? see that so there is all the showbread out here and there's the altar of incense and there's the you know out here and all this but in here with the two cherubim and the the Ark of the Covenant and that's the where the law is inside and the mercy seat sits on top of that what we've got right here is is this is the Holy of Holies where what's 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 important about the Holy of Holies this is where God is this is where God resides Remember, it's only one time a year that the high priest can go back behind that thick curtain. By the way, it's probably 22 inches thick. It's not a veil as in shimmery and you can kind of see through it. It's like 22 inches thick curtain. It is meant to keep us separated from him because the high priest has to go through all this cleansing and all these things, and then they go back behind that and they sprinkle the blood and they do their service under God on the Day of Atonement and that's it. And the old the old wives tell, which is a wives tell, it's not a true story, and I'll tell you why in a second. But the old story that goes along with it is is that they would tie a bell and a rope. They tie a little bell onto his belt and they tie a rope onto his foot. Why? This is the wives tell. Because if he got back there and he hadn't cleansed himself just right he died. You could tell he wasn't the bell wasn't going off anymore and you could take the rope and pull him out <laughs> now that's a wife's telling here's why god doesn't kill people that have tried to cleanse themselves god is not a killing god see what i mean there are people who have entered his presence and they have done so in a way that was inappropriate and they die but he's not going to kill a high priest that tried and just maybe messed up one step or something see what i'm saying that's not the kind of god that he is in his personality and his character But do you get the point? That perfect square, that city, is what again? It's a cube. It's a perfect square. What does that mean? Where do we live? In the Holy of Holies. That's where we live. Remember this concentric circle? It's not just a home. We're not just His... Kids, we're actually living in the place that you couldn't go. Even when the veil was rent, it showed us access, but it didn't mean that all the Christians could just walk in there and say, How do you do God? But now we're living in the Holy of Holies, which means something for us, very important. What would that be? We're holy. Perfectly, purely, utterly. He measured the city with a measuring stick. 12,000 stadia. Like I said, it's 1,300 and some, 1,338 or something like that. But it's close to 1,400. It's length, width, and height all equal. 12,000 stadia. What's 12,000? What's the number 12 always mean? Completeness. It means everything. It's all the apostles. It's all of the tribes of Israel. It's all of the, you know, the months of the year. It's all. It's twelve is the fullness, the completion, the everything. So, what would twelve thousand going this direction, this direction, this direction, and every direction mean? What would that mean? It's big enough. <laughs> it goes out as far as you need it to. See what I mean? It's fine. Do you understand something? Twelve thousand of fourteen hundred miles. This country, it's about one half the width of this country so it's one city that's about it it, it goes out about half the width of this country and more than half the height of it if you could put it that way and then there is 1400 miles of height so do you understand something if you gave it let's just say you gave one mile between the stories and by the way i do not believe there's stories in this building i believe it's other dimensional altogether but let's just use it in two-dimensional language right now let's just say that there was a mile between each story a full mile that'd be like fairly good headroom right if, if there was a mile, if you took the square surface of those 1,400 floors, that would be roughly 14 times the surface area of the entire earth. So there's plenty of room. But do you understand something? And I just said it a second ago. When it's talking about, it's, I don't, do I really believe that it's an actual cube? No, I don't. Here's what I believe. It's other dimensional. I do believe it has height. I do believe it has width. I do believe it has breadth. I do believe that it exists in another dimension, which is the best way of communicating it to our brains is exactly the way that he said it. But what it's trying to communicate is, this is a reality that is huge, that is endless, that is totally complete in every dimension. And this is where we live. That's cool, huh? using the standard measure the angel measured the thickness of the wall 144 cubits it's about 216 feet it's about 80 feet to that back wall that'd be three times the width three times the length of this entire sanctuary is the width of the wall okay now once again I don't think he's talking about a 216 foot thick wall when he says 144 math guys what's that 12 times 12 what's that saying If the wall is about safety, and the safety is 12 times 12, what's he saying? Safer than safe. (laughs) (laughs) Completely, utterly safe. See it? Now he goes on. The wall was jasper, the color of glory. Can I say something? Because we're going to get to this really cool thing. But just remember that one right now. Because the idea is, is it's as if the city is actually glowing. Remember earlier it said like pulsating light? Okay, so just hold on to that one for a second. The city was pure gold, translucent as glass. Has anybody ever seen gold refined to the point that it was translucent as glass? Has anybody ever seen such a thing? Because it doesn't actually exist. Okay, but think about what's being communicated. What is gold all about? What makes gold more and more precious, more and more valuable? When it gets refined. And the more refined it is, the more valuable, the more precious it is. And this has been refined so much that it becomes totally transparent. That's us. See it? The whole city has become, there's nothing hidden. It's all completely transparent because it's completely refined. See, I want you to see something. You didn't have to go to seminary for you know, 20 years in order to understand this language. You do have to do one thing you have to stop and smell the rose for a second. If you hear a weird thing about a city the shape of a cube, you have to ask yourself the question, what does that mean? What's he trying to communicate? And if all of a sudden you come across the Holy of Holies, that's a pretty cool moment in your Bible study. (laughs) And you're kind of going, oh my gosh, and then you can play with that idea. The foundations of the city walls are garnished with every precious gem imaginable. The first foundation, Jasper, the second, Sapphire, the third, Agate, the fourth, Emerald, the fifth, Onyx. the sixth, Carnelian, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, Beryl, the ninth, Topaz, the tenth, Chrysopraz, I'm assuming, the eleventh, Jac- Jacinth, and the twelfth, Amethyst. What's the important part here? We could go through each one of those stones and get all kinds of insights out of it, but what's the important part here? Precious. Precious. His people are precious. That's the foundations. The twelve gates are twelve pearls, each greater single pearl. Play with this one for a second. How does a pearl get made? It starts with what sand and sand, which is as somebody just said, an irritant. <laughs> Think about what he's saying. The gates are. Think about what he's saying. The entrance is to him. It started as an irritant which I covered, and then I covered, and then I covered, and then I covered, and I covered it so much. Have you ever seen a really good real pearl? And it's like, where's, where's the outside of this thing? Because it's, because it, it like, it's like these layers, you can just see into it. Do you see what he's saying? There's this multi-layered, incredibly beautiful started out as an irritant but I covered it and made it so big that people can enter through I hope you're having fun with this I sure am the main street of the city again pure gold translucent as glass no sign of a temple. For the Lord God, the sovereign strong, the Lamb, are the temple. The city doesn't need sun or moon for light. God's glory is its light. The Lamb is its lamp. I'm almost disappointed that for 14 years I've been telling you about that particular passage because it takes a little, it robs just a little bit from the preciousness of the moment. Remember I kept saying concentric circles? Here's what's being said right now. Or you tell me what's being said. When the the glory lights, where are we living? In His glory. Not just a home. Not just His children. Not just the Holy of Holies. We're actually in Him. God's glory, it's not as if God is this physical being that radiates glory and like it goes out like 12 feet. And so if you can get inside the 12 feet, you're inside His glory right? I mean, Moses sees God face to face, and what is being said is, is that God has turned himself into something that Moses can perceive, and so they talk face to face, but you know, Moses is a pretty sharp cat, and Moses seeing God on the face to face all the time, he starts going, you know, the more I get to know you, the more I know that you're just showing me what I can handle, And at one point in time, in one of the most precious places in all of scripture in my mind, Moses said, please show me your glory. Understand when he said this, he didn't mean show me your radiating thing from this being. God is spirit. God is glory. That's what he is in essence. That doesn't make him non-person, by the way. Spiritual being with a personality but what's being said is is that we're actually living in him and not just in him the glory is the thing (laughs) when we talk about anointing when we talk about presence, when you're doing worship and God takes you and you wake up from wherever God took you. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're worshiping sometimes and you got your eyes closed and you're singing this song. And all of a sudden you just realize that you've been somewhere. That's being caught up in him. That's in his glorious presence. That's, that's you see what I'm saying? This is being in him every moment. Do you want to see, do you see what I say when I say, this isn't really a city? This is God who is as far as you need in every direction, height, with depth, and in every dimension beyond that. This is God who is infinitely large, who has brought us right into the center. Can I say something here? A bit of a sidebar. Uh, a lot of people in this congregation have probably read Randy Alcorn's Heaven. And I want to say, I've heard a lot of really, really good stories, so I do not mean to diss the book about what I'm about to say, okay? I think it's a good book to read and everything else, and it seems to have done a lot of people who are wondering about having a lot of good. But here's what my problem is with the book, just to tell you. He essentially two-dimensionalizes what is four and five and six dimensions. He makes, he describes in worldly terms... And I just have to say, when I read these last two chapters, I don't know, you know, but my brain starts going way outside of this life and everything that has to do with this life. My spirit starts to enter into his presence. And I don't know that I can put it into words, except that I can read you what he said about it in ways that we can understand. Not fully, but that we can begin to approach the city, his presence, him. I'm telling you the things that I think that we're going to be in every moment are so far beyond what anybody can even begin to imagine as to make every temptation the dumbest thing ever. Right? Because we're in him. <laughs> and it is surpassing. And you can use every word that you can possibly use. And in the end, it's still just trying to reach out. <sighs> don't, don't go short. <laughs> go long. <laughs> the nations walk in its light, and the earth's kings bring in their splendor. All the people of the earth, the ones that have accepted him, its gates will never be shut by day. Why? There's no reason. There won't be any night. We already talked about that. They'll bring the glory and the honor of the nations into the city. People from every nation group, every people coming in, but being what? One. Nothing dirty or defiled gets into the city. No one who defiles or deceives. It's not as if people are outside trying to sneak their way in the gates. They're actually, as we saw last week, in a very different place, like a fire, as it already said. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will get in. Then the angel showed me the water of life, river, the river of living water, crystal blight. It flowed from the throne of God and from the Lamb right down the middle of the street. What's he saying? Where does eternal life come from? Where does life come from? God. And he's saying, just come and drink deeply. And in fact, what it feeds is the tree of life. It's planted on each side of the river, producing 12 kinds of fruit, a ripe fruit each month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Does that mean that we still get sick, but we go, you know, when we get sick, we do a little online order and get a leaf from the tree and take it and we're good? No. What it means is, is that we're healed. The tree of what? Life. Where did we see the tree of life before? In the garden. You know what I mean? This is the thing that he's giving to us. We will be living in this place that is so far beyond the pain and the corruption and the perversion and the degradations and the illnesses and the sicknesses and the weeping and all that kind of stuff. We will be living in the fullness, having drank deeply of the life that is there and that tree of life we have partaken of in its, all of its healing. This is what's being said. Never again will anything be cursed. The throne of God and of the Lamb is at its center. His servants will offer service worshiping. And yes, we will. And they'll look on his face, their foreheads mirroring God, which is to say, his name written on our foreheads. Never again will there be any the night. No one will need lamp nor sunlight. The shining of God. You see how he's repeating himself? He's, he's saying, See what's cool? <laughs> this is what's cool. Three times he said, It's not dark, there is no darkness. There's none of that kind of thing. Instead, there's this glory everywhere and you're living in it and it's so cool. And then he goes, the shining of God, the master is all the light anybody needs. And they will reign forever and ever. Over what? Over who? There's nobody to reign over. What's he talking about? What's he trying to communicate here? They will reign forever and ever. What's he saying? Yes. Keep going though. If we're reigning with him, where are we? Yes, but where specifically? On On the throne. I'm sorry. I love these two chapters as much as I love any words in all of Scripture. I can't take that. I can't take the thought. I can take the thought I'll be in his glorious presence. I can take the thought I'll be with him in intimacy. I can take a whole lot of thoughts in and boy, I just get surpassing in the feeling that goes off in me. But I cannot take the thought that I should be on the throne. But that's what he wants. (laughs) Do you see the concentric circles? They've gone all the way down to the deepest places. They've gone all the way down to one with God. And as He sits on the throne, I sit there with Him, in Him. And the angel said, These are dependable and accurate words. Everyone. Now, we've done something here. We've, as I said, we've sort of we sort of have flown and dipped in and dipped in and dipped in right so now i want you to hear it the way that it was written and i'm not i'm going to i'm going to say a few things as i'm writing it but i'm not adding words because it says if i add words then i'm cursed so i'm not going to do that okay but i want you to do something i want us to experience this with as much as we possibly can in the fullness of our lives in the fullness of our imaginations i want us to experience this thing that God wants us to feel so that we can live according to, so that we can live in the light of. So rather than stopping all the time, I'm just going to read through it, and I'm asking you to close your eyes, and I'm asking you to let these words be life. I saw heaven and earth, new created, Gone the first heaven, gone the first earth, gone the turbulent sea forever. I saw holy Jerusalem, new created, descending resplendent out of heaven as ready for God as a bride for her husband. I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Look, look, God is making his home with men and women. They're his people. He's their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good. Tears gone. Crying gone. Pain gone. All that first order stuff gone. The enthroned continued. Look, I'm making everything new. Then he says, it has happened I am A to Z. I'm the beginning. I'm the conclusion. Those who are thirsty, I give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious victorious, inherit these blessings. I will be their God and they will be my sons and daughters. For the rest... Feckless, faithless, degenerate, murderers, sex peddlers, sorcerers, idolaters, liars. For them, fire and brimstone, second death. But one of the seven angels who carried the bowls filled with the seven final disasters spoke to me. Come here. I want to show you the cool thing. The bride, the wife of the lamb. He took me away in the spirit to an enormous high mountain and showed me the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, resplendent in the bright, bright glory of God. The city shimmered like a precious gem, light-filled, pulsing light. She had a wall majestic and high with 12 gates. At each gate, an angel, and on the gates inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel, three on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. The wall was set on 12 foundations, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb inscribed on them. The angel speaking with me had a gold measuring stick to measure the city and its walls. The city was laid out in a perfect square, like the Holy of Holies. He measured the city with the measuring stick, 12,000 stadia, 1,400 miles, its length, width, and height all equal. Using the standard measure, he measured the thickness of the wall, 144 cubits, perfectly 216 feet. The wall was jasper, the color of glory, and the city was pure gold, translucent as glass. The foundations of the city were garnished with every precious gem imaginable. Jasper, and sapphire, and agate, and emerald, and onyx, and carnelian, and chrysolite, and beryl, and topaz, and chrysopaz, and jacinth, and amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate one single pearl. The main street of the city, pure, refined gold, so pure, translucent as glass, But there was no sign of a temple. For the Lord God, the sovereign strong and the Lamb are the temple. The city doesn't need sun or moon for light. God's glory is its light. The Lamb, its light lamp. The nations will walk in the light. The earth kings bring in their splendor. Its gates will never be shut by day. There won't be any night. They'll bring in the glory and honor of the nations into the city. Nothing dirty or defiled gets into the city. No one who defiles or deceives. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life get in. Then the angel showed me the water of life river, crystal bright flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb right down the middle of the street. The tree of life planted on each side of the river producing 12 kinds of fruit, a ripe fruit each month, the leaves of the tree healing the nations. Never again will anything be cursed. The throne of God and the Lamb is at its center. His servants offer God's service, worshiping. They'll look at his face, their foreheads mirroring God, his name written on our foreheads. Never again is there any night. No one will ever need lamp or sunlight. The shining of God, the master, is all the light anyone needs. And they will reign forever and ever. These are the dependable, on accurate words, everyone, said the angel. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, burn this image into our hearts. Let us be filled to overflowing with it. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I know there's a lot of reading today. You guys can go ahead and come up. But there's a lot of reading today, but I'm just going to hit these last verses because I want to read them because I want you to hear the one voice that is really being said in the last half of this one chapter. The God and master, the spirits of the prophets sent his angels to show his servants what must take place and soon Tell them, yes, I'm on my way. Blessed be the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. I, John, saw all these things with my own eyes. I heard them with my ears. Immediately when I heard and saw, I fell on my face. He couldn't take it. He does it again. I fell at my face to worship at the feet of the angel who laid it all out before me, and he ejected. no, don't. I'm a servant just like you and your companions, the prophets, and all who keep the words of this book. Don't worship me. Worship God. Then the angel continued, don't seal the words of the prophecies, book. don't put it away in a shelf, something that had been done earlier in a prophecy. Time is just about up. Let evildoers do their worst, and the dirty-minded go all out in their pollution. But let the righteous remain, maintain a straight course, and the holy continue in holiness. Yes, I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. Remember three times he repeated about the light. Three times he's going to say, I'm coming soon. I'm bringing my payroll with me, and I'll pay all people in full for their life's works. I'm the A to the Z, the first and the final, the beginning and the conclusion. How blessed are those who wash their robes. The tree of life is theirs for good. And they'll walk through the gates to the city. For outside, for good, are the filthy curs, sorcerers and fornicators and murderers and adulterers, all who love and live lies. I, Jesus, sent my angel to testify to these things for the churches. I am the root and the branch of David, the bright morning star. Come, say the spirit and the bride. Whoever hears echo, say, come. Is anybody thirsty? Come, all who will come and drink, drink freely of the water of life. I give fair warning to all who hears the word of the prophecy of this book. Don't add to the words of this prophecy. If you do, God will add to your life the disasters written in the book. Don't take away from the words of the book of this prophecy. God will subtract your part from the tree of life and the holy city that are written in the book. He who testifies to these things says it again. I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. Yes, come, Master Jesus. The grace of Master Jesus be with all of you. And in Jesus' name we say, come. Yes, Lord, Lord, come. We know that even now, when you say come soon, for 2,000 years it seems as if you haven't and yet you have been all along. You have been coming to us and there will be that moment when you come in your fullness and we in this generation say, come. We in this church say, come. We in this congregation say, come. We in our hearts say, come. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus thank you God praise your holy and precious name come Lord God come and bring us into the fullness that you have we do not get detracted by the silly temptations of this world though we may fall we keep our eyes focused on you our only hope our only source our only promise of any value And so we keep our eyes focused on you that we might begin in our lives to walk more fully and richly in the light of the glory that you have just revealed to our hearts. God, let us walk in the fullness of the light that you have brought. Thank you, God.